Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for another morning, another day, another Sunday. It's becoming more and more real to me that Sundays are the best days. We love to be here. We love to see each other. We love to be held accountable and we love to be encouraged. We love to sing at the same time to you. Father, we're thankful for Sundays. And you have taught us, Father, that we don't know how to stand without a foundation that is your word. The words of Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount are ringing in my ears, in which he says, Father, the wise man who built his house on my words. Father, that's what we want to be. We have tried other foundations and they, they didn't hold us up. We have come to know that your word is the only foundation there is. So we come here on a Sunday morning eager to eat from the bread of life, eager to be fed. Our hearts and our minds are ready to hear what your word says, and we ask, Lord, that you would teach us. Do a mighty work in us today, God, by the power of your Spirit, through your holy word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to continue right along. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to finish up chapter 4 today. We are approaching the end of 1 Peter. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. It's the black Bibles in the pew there in front of you. It's page 1116, 1116. 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to get going. I'm excited about today. You know, it's summer and... In North Carolina, where I'm from, once the temperature hits the 90s, it stays in the 90s until fall is here. That's one of the things I love about Kentucky, is it can be 95 all week, and then all of a sudden we get a 57 degree evening. That's awesome. This weather is so good. I hope you got to step outside last night and feel that cool weather, and you checked your uh, calendar to make sure that it wasn't already October. I felt like I was on the beach last night with the wind blowing, and it was chilly. People were wearing sweatshirts and stuff like that. It's awesome. It's also summertime where everybody's on the go, and at times I hate that, coming to church on a Sunday morning and knowing that so many people are, are absent, but part of that excites me. We've got people all over the place, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud as a pastor to think of our people scattered and doing lots of things, and right now this week, missing from us this morning are a whole bunch of our young people. We have uh, a lot of our young adults working a camp this week, and we have a lot of our young people who are attending that camp this week. And I want to tell you all that I'm getting messages from the people there saying that our young people are doing a fantastic job and they are leading the charge at the camp. And I'm, I'm, I'm a proud pastor for that and I'm encouraged uh, that our church is being used by that in the world. I hope you know that yes, the Bible teaches us to meet here on a Sunday morning, but our job is for us to spread out into the world and to reach the world. And so I'm thrilled to think that we have people all over the place this, this day, this week, this summer uh, working uh, for the Lord Jesus. That's exciting. When we get to 1 Peter 4, the subject is still suffering. It's been suffering since we started 1 Peter. It's going to be suffering till we get to the end of 1 Peter. Some of it's persecution. A lot of it's persecution. 
It's Christian people who have their entire hope in God built upon the Word of God, dealing with things that are not easy, dealing with things that aren't hard. And most of that is when other people are bringing it upon them. This is a reality. Life becomes shaky. You start to wonder what's going on. You start to wonder, am I right? Am I safe? And safety becomes a, a key word. I like to play sports, and when you get old, you're not able to play as much. When you have kids, you're not able to play as much. I'm dealing with both of those now. And uh, I still try to play. It's not a joke. I still try to play. I still try to play a little bit. We have church softball teams, and I remember when we first started several years ago, went to the first game, and I arrived at the game like normal, and I had my, my wallet in a pocket, my keys in a pocket, and my phone in a pocket, and I didn't realize once I got there that I didn't have where to put it. So I put, I put all three, phone, wallet, and keys, in my bat bag for a good hour and a half while we played. I never thought about what would happen to them in the bat bag. The game ended, the game was over, I reached in there, grabbed my stuff out, and my, my wallet was full of sand and dirt, and my driver's license was all dirty. My keys, I picked them up, and the little thing where you click the, the lock was all covered in dirt. And then I grabbed my phone, screen was shattered. It's totally broken. I thought, what in the world? And I thought for just a second, and I remembered that people threw their bats, and people threw their balls, and people threw their gloves, and threw everything on the bat bag. And I thought, what? why did I ever think that my phone and wallet and keys would be safe in the bat bag? People are rough on bat bags. Never again have I once put my wallet and phone in the bat bag. Now I find somebody. If my wife's there, I give it to her. If she's not, I give it to somebody else that's there and say, hey, will you hold this for me? Keep it safe. Keep it safe. Y'all, the Bible wants us to learn that you and I are not safe anywhere unless we are in the love of God. There is not safety anywhere else. We have to make sure that we have understood what God says and that we have come to Him by faith and repentance. We have found safety in Him. Proverbs 18 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous man runs into it and he is safe. If you want to be safe, if you want to be safe, You become a believer in God according to His Word through faith in His Son, Jesus. Peter answers their suffering questions today with this very thing. Read with me, if you will, at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted... 
For the name of Christ you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Peter is speaking to these suffering Christians about their suffering, about the suffering they're dealing with, and about how they should deal with it. I want to give you four points today on how we should understand suffering. We are to, number one, expect it. We are to, number two, rejoice in it. We are to, number three, question it. And number four, we are to trust God with it. Expect it, rejoice in it, question it, and trust God with it. Let's get going here at verse 12. Beloved, I've made this point several times as we've walked walked through Peter. This is how you talk to people about serious issues. Church, I want you to get this. You're going to be having serious discussions every day for the rest of your life about what you believe, about what the Bible teaches, about what is right and what is wrong, about what is acceptable and what is not. The Scripture is the only foundation for what is true and how we know God. And the way you talk to people about serious things is with humility, with brokenness, and with love. He says, beloved, because He cares for them. He wants them to listen. He wants to help them. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you In other words, he's saying expect it. Don't be surprised by it. If you're going through something that is difficult or hard, that's caused you to ask, God, why am I going through this? We were at a birthday party a couple weeks ago. Nobody in Fairdale. For the kids, friends. And this boy kept getting hurt and crying all the time. At a two-hour birthday party, I saw him cry like seven times. And every time that he would get hurt, he would say, why, why, why do I get hurt? Why am I the one who always gets hurt? Peter wants us to know when you're facing a trial or difficulty, you are not to be thinking, why does this happen to me? This is not supposed to happen to me. Don't think that way. Trials happen to you, and trials happen to me, and trials happen to us, and trials happen to everybody. We are to expect those. And not trials like flat tires, while those may be trials to you. Big trials. Trials that Peter describes as fiery. This is hot. This is hurting. This is destroying things. This is messing me up. This is so fiery, I'm going to lose a friendship over this type trials. He says, expect it. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. He tells us it's a test. We have to expect the trials because they test us. If your life is nothing but cruising, windows down, hair in the wind, life's good type of stuff, then you need to re-examine. 
You need to reevaluate. Because fiery trials are real, we should expect them. And then he says, don't act like something strange is happening to you. Don't, don't have a pity party saying that you're the only one. Because everybody's going through it. And what's most often the case is that somebody's going through it worse than you are. We are to expect it. He says, expect it. Now, it's a little bit of a different context. But listen how James talks in James chapter 4 about what may come upon us. He says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Why would you talk like you know what tomorrow will bring, James says. You don't know if tomorrow you're going to uh, get a raise for an extra 20000 a year, or you don't know if tomorrow you're going to lose your job because the owner died and the business shut down. Either could happen tomorrow. Why would you talk like you know what's going to happen tomorrow, James says. He says, what is your life? He keeps going. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or we will do that. James wants us to put into perspective that if we make it to this afternoon's lunch, it is only by the grace of God that we made it to this afternoon's lunch. James wants us to realize that if I make it all the way till tomorrow, which is way past today's lunch, it is only by the grace of God carrying this sinful person on to that day. And the height of arrogance that says, I can take it for granted. Tomorrow, Josh Green will face only what God wants me to face. And same for you. And it might be a fiery trial. And if it is, you should be expecting it. Number two, verse 13. But rejoice. You know, the Bible is often weird like this. If you thought that the Bible is similar to the world's message, today you're getting a wake-up call. If you thought that a lot of what the Bible is, is um, you know, positive thinking, optimism, today you're getting a wake-up call. The Bible is God teaching His people how to live like this is not home. The Bible is God teaching His people how to live as if this is not God's kingdom. The Bible is God teaching His people how to live like this world and its ways do not satisfy us. Heaven is our home. The kingdom of God is our security. And Jesus is our satisfaction. He says, expect fiery trials. And in verse 13, he says, rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Rejoice because, hey, our Lord, our Lord suffered. He felt all types of things that He should not have felt. He faced all types of situations that He should not have faced. And He walked into them. And He never whined and He never complained. He took it. He says to rejoice. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And this is where things get really good for us. 
Peter does it twice in this passage. The Bible does it over and over again. The Bible thrusts us not toward thinking about the right now because that often will not comfort us. It thrusts us to a coming day where all will be put into perspective when Jesus comes back, when God sits on His throne and judges all of us, and all things are put into perspective into which we will say, yes, that was worth it. Momentary trials and momentary afflictions are horrible in the moment, but they are simple and meaningless and very small when we're in glory with God forever. And we must learn to keep our perspective on heaven and eternity with God as our Father and we as His adopted children safe in Him. We must learn to think about that so that when we're in the trial, we don't lose our way. Trials should not be able to make us lose our way. We have an anchor that is secure. And it is Him. So He tells us that we are to rejoice in it. Rejoice in it now so that then we will be glad, He says in verse 13. Rejoice in it now so that we will be glad then when Jesus comes and all is made right. This week we were at the softball field. I had a game and Carolina was over there climbing on the the monkey bars. We were watching her from a distance, I mean a really good distance, at least from here to the door. And she was walking up one of those where she's like stepping on metal bars and she's only two and there were about ten of us watching and all ten of us knew she can't do this. We kept watching. Maybe that's bad parenting in hindsight. We kept watching. She climbed and she climbed and it's one of those that goes like that. So she had her hands and she got all the way to the last one and sure enough, she couldn't do it. And she fell. But she caught herself like this. Hanging like this from a monkey bars. It was probably only like five feet to the ground, but still hanging. And she's crying hanging. So I jumped up off the bleachers and ran as fast as I could. And in my mind I'm thinking, hang on, hang on, hang on. Don't drop, don't drop. And she didn't. And I made it there. And I got her. I let her off the monkey bar. And when, when I did that, when I grabbed her, she was crying. She put her head on my shoulder. I said, it's okay. She said, I said, it's okay. I got you. She said, she knew that something really bad had happened. But she held on and held on and held on. And once I got to her, it was all good. Peter says, trials are here. Trials are coming. Trials are there. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. And when the Lord Jesus comes back and His glory is revealed, like verse 13 says, you will be glad. Glad that you held on. And you will be ashamed if you let go of the foundation of the Word of God and the truth of of the Lord Jesus, keeping you safe during trials. So we are to expect our trials, but we are to rejoice in trials. Charles Spurgeon says, listen to this, I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. That is a good quote. He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that slams me into the rock of ages. In other words, you're picturing life picking you up 
with its trials and slamming you into rocks, thinking, this can be delight for me. I don't know how much more I can take. And Spurgeon, the great preacher, says, I've learned to kiss that wave. Because while it's slamming me into rocks, it's also slamming me into the rock of ages, which we know to be the Lord Jesus. And if it's a trial, we may not want to welcome it. But if it's a trial that brings us closer to Jesus, we want to welcome it. There is no better place. There is no surer place. And there is no safer place than being in Jesus. Number three, we are to question it. Verse 14 says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, then you are blessed. Listen, the Bible says being insulted is a good thing. Does everybody see that? If somebody insults you because you are committed to Christ, that's a blessing. Don't be confused about that. If your friends call me names, that's okay. You don't have to defend me. All right? If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Well, why? Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. God is at work in His people. Verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Now here's why I say that number three is to question it. Not that we're to question God, we're to question the trial. Why, why am I going through this trial? And this is what Peter wants us to see. You better not be going through the trial because it's your fault. You better not be going through the trial because you're such a jerk. Because you're so obnoxious. I've seen enough Facebook posts and Twitter posts this week concerning the flag and racism, concerning homosexuality, to make me ashamed of those people that call themselves Christians. It's ridiculous. Social media, which should be a good thing, has turned into a horrible thing, if you want my opinion. We would be better off without social media. Because I can speak for myself, and I want to communicate to you what I feel about what God says, and everybody else who's tried to lock arms with me and call themselves a believer in Jesus is ruining what I'm able to say according to the Word of God because they're so obnoxious and rude and closed-minded. And it's a problem. And Peter's very clear to these suffering Christians, it better not be your fault. He lists off a few things. If you're a murderer, and now you're whining because the consequences are so hard, forget it. If you're a thief, and now you're going through some fiery trials, no. If you do evil, now listen, that covers a lot. The Bible in Jeremiah 17.9 says, Do not trust your heart. It is evil. If you don't know that verse, please, Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is desperately wicked and utterly evil. Who can understand it? The Bible says. Do not trust your heart. Do not trust your heart. I have led myself the wrong way so many times trusting myself. Sometimes I make good decisions. I'm not saying every decision I make is wrong. We are to trust something stronger than our hearts, the Word of God. 
If you are suffering because of the evil that you do, that is not a time where you should be trusting in God and saying, God, get me out of this. Don't rejoice in that suffering. That suffering you have brought on yourself, you need to repent of that suffering. And then he says a fourth one, and I like this one. I'm not sure if you even know this word. This word is a meddler. Somebody just wants to get in everybody else's business. Somebody who's concerned about other things. Somebody who has stepped up into a conversation he has no business being in. This is exactly what social media has done. You heard somebody else say something, and now you want to comment on it. Meddling, meddling, meddling. Meddling, meddling, meddling. And Peter is really calling out these people. If you're suffering because some meddling you've gotten into, don't you think that God's working there? If you're suffering because of the evil that you're doing, don't you rejoice in saying, well, Jesus suffered too. This is why I say, number three, that we're to question what we're going through. We're to ask questions like, why is this happening? What brought this about? What does God expect from me in this situation? How might I best handle this situation? What does God tell me to do in this position that I found myself in? I am suffering right now, and I don't like this situation. This is a trial. This very well might be a fiery trial. God, what would You have me to do? We are to ask questions like, am I honoring You, God, right now? Is there any way that what I do can avoid this? How might I change this? How might I be a better husband, a better man, a better father? How might I be a better worker? How might I be a better boss, a better student, a better friend? How might I be better in this situation, God, to reflect You, to show obedience, to model humility, to be a servant? How might I look like something that You are working in? How might I look like somebody that is safe in You, God, during this suffering? And notice that Peter has not said, get all defensive. Peter did not say, get all defensive right here and stand up for your rights. He did not. He says to question. Questioning what we're going through, even trials, is a good thing as long as you're not questioning God. Let me just throw out a couple of questions. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? I'm in a trial. I need help right now. Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? Then he answers it. My help comes from the Lord. From the Lord. He will help me. He made these hills. He made my trial. And I will trust Him through it. If He brought me to it, He'll bring me through it. Or what about another one? It's a little bit different. Psalm 119.9 How can a young man keep his way pure? Wish every parent would teach their young men this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding himself according to the Word of God. Psalm 119 verse 9 Okay, I'm in this situation. I'm in this trial. How can I stay pure? How do I remain pure? What is pure here? Okay, i got a girlfriend, God. What does purity look like? Okay, I've got friends that are trying to get me to do all this. What does purity look like? Okay, everybody in the world looks at porn. What does purity look like? Okay, my parents are bad examples to me of what purity looks like. God, what does purity look like to me? And the Bible answers that question. According to the Word of God, keeping 
that. It's good to question what we're going through. He says, don't be suffering and thinking that your suffering is of God if you did something wrong and brought on the suffering. You need to repent. You need to get right. You need to come to God and say, Lord, have mercy upon me. I'm wrong. Help me. You need to go to people who are offended and confess your sins to them and ask for their forgiveness. Don't be the person in the wrong sitting at home trying to justify it. Don't be the person in the wrong that's allowing yourself to shift the blame because people are being rude to you in that, which they shouldn't be. And then get defensive on the way they're treating you because you did something wrong. Forget what everybody else is saying. Let's get singular with our focus. Us and God. Us and God. Let's let Him take care of our reputation. Let's let Him take care of everything else that happens in reaction to us. Let's focus on God. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And let's be what God has asked us to be. So we question it. But then look what he says in verse 16. He warns them about suffering for wrong reasons. But he does say in verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. So Peter just says plainly here in chapter 4 verse 16 that Christians that suffer are not going to cry about this. We're not going to pout. We're not going to throw a fit. We're going to say... If I've got to suffer for this thing, I'm going to suffer for this thing. I'm going to not be ashamed of who I am. One of my favorite authors, John Bunyan, in the 1600s in Europe, was told that it's against the law to preach salvation through Jesus. He said, well, I can't stop preaching about Jesus. The only way people are going to make it to heaven. If I stop preaching to Jesus, none of y'all can make it to heaven. They said, we're telling you you have to stop. And if you do it again, we're taking you to jail. He had a wife and kids. He kept preaching. They arrested him. They took him to jail. For 12 years he stayed in jail. 12 years. 10,000 days roughly. In jail. Without his wife, without his kids. They would come to his jail cell every day. they say, listen, uh, uh, John, we'll let you out. On one account, you never preach Jesus again. He said, I'll stay. They come back to him the next day. You want to go see your wife and kids? Yes, please. Never preach Jesus again. He said, I'll stay. He's fine to suffer as a Christian. He cried, cried, cried. Tears of prayers that God would take care of his wife and kids. But you cannot be ashamed of the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, if you're ashamed of me, my Father will be ashamed of you. You cannot be ashamed of Him. So Peter says, don't. If you're a murderer or a thief or you're doing evil or you're a meddler, don't act like that suffering is a good thing. That's a shame that you did that, is what he's saying. You need to repent and get right and be forgiven. But in verse 16 he says, if your suffering is for being a Christian, don't be ashamed. Glorify God in that situation. Then in verse 17, he brings up my final thing. Trust God with it. He brings up a heavy, heavy subject. He says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Here's what he's saying. It is time 
for the trials to not undo us. It is time for the trials to make the real people stand up. It is time for the trials to show which ones are so committed to Christ that have an allegiance with the Lord Jesus that the trials are not going to get them to stop being committed to Christ. They're going to stand on the Word of God. They're going to believe that Jesus is the only Savior and that's who they're going to be. He says it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. I said Peter does it twice in this passage. Here's the second time. The first time is when he says rejoice because when Jesus comes back and the glory of God is revealed in judgment on the last day, you will be glad that you were with Jesus. Here he says judgment is a real thing. And you and I determine how we behave now and how we treat people now and what we say now, what we believe now, and how we deal with things now. We, we determine that based off knowing that God is the judge. God is going to judge one day, every one of us. Everybody in this room and everybody not in this room. I had a friend tell me this week that they don't like to tell other people that they are wrong because they want them to be happy. You've probably heard that this week too. To which I said, you just want them to be happy for a little bit, I guess. Because earth is short. And life is quick. And life is a vapor. And if you trick me and let me be wrong right now while you're right, or at least know what's right, and the storm comes upon me, and I die in my sins apart from the unconditional, amazing grace, loving salvation, forgiveness of sins through Jesus, and you didn't tell me about that, you didn't help me be happy. You ruined me. You crushed me. You tricked me. And ultimately, you're not my friend. Don't fake right now like we want to be happy right now. It's not fair for JJ to know what Mama said to do and not tell Noah. And then at the last minute when he sees Mama pull into the driveway, he goes and does what she says and doesn't tell Noah. And then Noah gets the spanking. That ain't fair. Peter wants us to know that we live in light of the judgment of God. The thing is, is that God has told us that He's the judge. And the judge has told us that His love and mercy extends to anybody who will trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. But the Lord Jesus' forgiveness of sins comes at the cost of His life. He died for us. He literally was on the cross like this. Three nails. Big, huge, long stakes of nails. And one goes through here and one goes through here. There were only three, so where'd the other one go? The other one goes in this leg and out the back, in that leg and out the back of that leg, and he's on a tree suffering for us. It says in this passage that Christ suffered for us. It's talking about the cross. And he's there 
to die. But God doesn't die. What killed Him? Our sins. The things we do wrong. He didn't die because of the nails. I think you know that. He died because He couldn't breathe. So look. He, he's hanging. And He can't breathe. He's suffocating. Like, <gasps> and so to catch His breath, He had to what? Push up. What's He pushing up on? A nail through both legs. He suffered for us. So He could catch His breath. And the Father turned His back on His Son. And it was so awful that Jesus, who at first was saying, Father, forgive them, because He knew that it's our fault, eventually changes, saying, Father, forgive them, and starts crying out to His Father, My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? God, you're turning your back on me. You're killing me. You're crucifying me. You're punishing me. You're sacrificing me. God did that to Jesus. Why? Because you and I don't stand a chance in the judgment without His sacrifice for us. Nobody does. And the only way for anybody, me, you, or anybody else you know, to be safe is to be in Christ, knowing that He did that for you in love. And if you want to love somebody, you will tell them that. You will cry for them to believe that. And if anybody will not believe that, there is no safety. None. This is what makes this passage make such sense. Apart from the cross of Christ and suffering of Jesus that puts everything in perspective with our God, why in the world we tell somebody, rejoice in that suffering, fiery trial, you don't deserve it, but just keep your head up and keep rejoicing, baloney. That's why you go to a funeral who people who aren't trusting in Christ, there's nothing you can say to help them, Nothing. There's no comfort when somebody has not believed in Christ. There's nothing you can say. Well, they were a horrible person. They were so miserable in life. They were depressed, and now they're dead. What are you going to say? That's all right. Just pick your head up. There's no safety apart from Jesus, y'all. None. And let's not do an injustice to ourselves and our families and to the world by acting like we're okay, because we're not. We need God, and we need His safety. And suffering's real, you know that. So he says, lastly, in verse 19, a summary statement where he says, Therefore, since that is so true, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Listen, you are not your own person to decide for yourself what you think is best or what you think is right. A lot of people tell you that. That'll fall so short. You don't let your kids act that way. So don't think all of a sudden as an adult you get to. We have a Creator that made us. And our Creator that made us is faithful to us, it says here. Faithful Creator. And the right thing to do in life is to trust Him with our soul. And if you will not trust Him with your soul, there is no safety. 
I have no words of comfort. We need to urge everyone to entrust their souls to a faithful Creator. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. God will take care of you. Do you believe that? Are you trusting in Him? Do you realize the value of a soul? Have you entrusted your soul to Him? Please hear me today. There is no comfort in trusting your soul with anything, anyone else. The only place we can trust our hearts and our souls is God. I've got five children now. And the weight of that is heavy. I must so live as a man and as a husband and as a father to get them to know that. They're not safe anywhere else. And there is comfort nowhere else apart from Jesus. The goal is for everybody to come to the Creator through His love and sending His Son to be safe. We need to trust that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for 1 Peter. Peter has such heavy words for those that are suffering. We should expect suffering, he tells them. We should rejoice in the suffering because we have perspective. We should question it to make sure that we're not being foolish and ignorant and wrong and sinful here. And we should trust you. Father, help us to not think about these issues like suffering in our lives. Apart from the cross of Christ, we, we bring confusion. The suffering Lord Jesus for our sins puts it into perspective. God, I pray now that you would work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you know you have not trusted your soul to your Creator, then I ask you to believe. I ask you to be saved. Become a Christian today. I don't know of any safety, anything to tell you if you leave here today apart from Christ. He's the only safety and comfort. I ask you to believe today if you've never been saved. If you're looking for a church, a church that's going to stand upon the Word of God, you want us to be your church family and, and me to be your pastor, you could do that too. If you're here today and you realize that other things have comforted you and you've been a baby against suffering and you've not realized that God is strengthening you through your suffering. You've never rejoiced in suffering. And perhaps today God is going